family, his real name is Theo Epstein. In the sports world, though, and in the baseball world in particular, the world of Major League Baseball, Theo Epstein goes by the name of the Curse Killer. Now, how did such a young, handsome, unassuming, clean-cut baseball executive come to possess such a weird nickname? Well, friends, in the world of Major League Baseball, there were two very famous, very long-standing baseball curses that were put upon two of the most famous franchises in the major leagues, the Boston Red Sox and the Chicago Cubs. Let me tell you about the first curse. This first baseball curse was called the Curse of the Bambino. This was a superstition that the Boston Red Sox was a cursed organization and destined to eternal failure. You see, family, it was back in the offseason of 1919 that the Boston Red Sox traded away their star player to the dreaded New York Yankees. This player was a pitcher who could also hit with some power. His name was Babe Ruth. Now, in the wake of that famous baseball trade, the New York Yankees went on to win countless World Series championships while the Boston Red Sox were mired in utter failure. So the curse of the Bambino was alive and well for about 86 years until a young general manager for the Boston Red Sox named, named Theo Epstein put together a fantastic team that finally won the World Series in 2004, and they won it again in 2007. Well, what did Theo Epstein decide to do after successfully overthrowing one of baseball's most famous curses? Well, he decided to tackle another one. In 2011, Theo Epstein left the Boston Red Sox organization to join the Chicago Cubs, another losing organization that hadn't won a World Series since 1908. This was another club that supposedly was under a lifetime curse. This curse called the Curse of the Billy Goat. Now family, back in the 1940s, there was a man named William Sionias. He was a diehard Cubs fan. He lived in Chicago. He owned a nearby little tavern called the Billy Goat. Well, one day William brought his pet goat, whose name was Murphy, to a Cubs baseball game. But because the smell of this goat was so terrible and ruining the experience of all the fans around him, Mr. Sionias was kicked out of Wrigley Field. Outraged, the man turned to anyone that would listen, and as he stormed from the ballpark, he said, them Cubs ain't gonna win no more. And they didn't. All the year from the year 1908 until last year in 2016 when the Cubs finally won the Baseball World Series coached by Hazleton's own Joe Madden and they finally brought home the championship. Well, who was the executive who brought together that team and ultimately overthrew the curse of the Billy Goat? Yes, once again, it was Theo Epstein, the curse killer. You know, family, it's a lot of fun to think about these famous baseball curses, some of these superstitions. 
But friends, as we open our Bibles here this morning to the book of Galatians chapter 3, the Apostle Paul is going to talk to us this morning about a real curse. A real curse that is associated with everyone who cannot keep the commandments of God perfectly. Family, the good news is, though, just as Theo Epstein was the man to come along and overturn those famous sports curses, so the scriptures are perfectly clear that our curse killer is none other than Jesus Christ. Friends, we want to open our Bibles here to Galatians chapter 3, and we want to uncover what the Bible has to say about the curse of the law and the one who defeats it for us in this message this morning that I've entitled, The Curse Killer. Now, friends, last Sunday morning we were together here in Galatians 3. We were listening as the Apostle Paul was, was unleashing and unpacking a series of logical arguments to try to get the Galatian Christians to snap out of it. You see, Jewish false teachers had come along and started telling the Galatian believers that it wasn't enough to simply believe on Jesus Christ by faith for salvation. These legalistic false teachers said, in order to be right with God, what you really need to do is to embrace and follow all of the religious rules and all the regulations and ceremonies of Judaism that were outlined in the Old Testament. So as we've been learning in recent weeks together, family, these false teachers were essentially denying justification by faith alone. They were essentially saying that salvation is about rule-keeping. Now, last week, family, we listened as Paul pushed back hard against this. In verses 1 through 9, Paul said that salvation by anything else other than by faith alone is the height of foolishness. In chapter 3, those first opening verses, Paul argued positively for justification by faith alone. But family, this morning, we're going to look at verses 10 to 14. And Paul switches his argument from a positive argument, where he once was arguing positively for justification by faith. Now he's going to use a negative argument, and he's going to argue negatively against the law. And Paul is going to do that, as we study this morning, with three fast facts about the law. You know, family, when you and I go on vacations, when we typically visit various historical sites, like when we go to Gettysburg, when we go to see the Liberty Bell, when we see the Statue of Liberty, you know it's not uncommon for a sign to be posted nearby that will give you the fast facts about that historical site. A sign is typically posted that will give you the lowdown. It will give you the basics. A sign that gets right to the point and tells you the most critical information. Well, family, here in verses 10 to 14, that's what Paul's going to do with the law. He's going to give you and I some of the fast facts about the law and the law's inability to make us right with God. So, friends, as we come now to this text... What are those three fast facts about the law? Why is it such a terrible idea to think that law-keeping is the way to salvation? 
Well, friends, I want to show you number one here this morning, and Paul will show us in the Word of God, number one, the law brings a curse. Number one, the law brings a curse. Now, look with me in your copy of God's Word in Galatians 3 and verse 10. Galatians 3.10. Paul says, For as many as are of the works of the law are under the curse. For it is written, Cursed is everyone who does not continue in all things which are written in the book of the law to do them. Now, family, we're going to start to unpack this text here. We're going to think about its meaning. We're going to think about its significance for our lives. But the first thing we need to do is make sure that we're starting off with the right definition, the right understanding of this key word. It's the word curse. Curse. Now, a couple minutes ago, I was telling you about some of those famous baseball curses that have been a part of sports lore for the past hundred years. But I want you to understand, Paul here, when he uses this word curse, he isn't talking about some kind of superstition in verse 10. No, theologically speaking, when the Bible uses this word curse in relationship to the law, what Paul is talking about here in verse 10 is really condemnation. Condemnation. Now, we all understand the basic idea of what it means to be condemned. It means to be pronounced guilty. It means to be worthy of judgment, to be, to be fit for punishment. That's what it means to be condemned or to be under condemnation. So family, when Paul uses this word curse, he's not talking about something that's spooky or sinister or mysterious. He's simply saying that to be cursed is to be condemned. It is to be judged. It is to be worthy of receiving God's divine judgment. Well, look at verse 10. Who is it that's condemned? Who is it that is under this curse of condemnation? Who is fit to receive God's just judgment? Look at verse 10. The answer is all those who are trying to live by the law but are not keeping the law perfectly. Now, Paul explains that a little further by giving us a quote from the Old Testament. You see it there. In your Bible, it's probably in italics because this is a quote from the Old Testament. Paul says there, for it is written... So Paul is saying, everyone who is under the curse is everyone who does not keep the law of God perfectly. And he quotes from Deuteronomy 27, 26, which says, Cursed be anyone who does not confirm the words of this law by doing them, and all the people shall say, Amen. Family, here's what you need to understand. During the Old Testament era, Moses delivers the law of God to the people of God. And God gave clear-cut instructions to all the Israelite people that full obedience to the law was required. And here's the one thing. God's people were not allowed to pick and choose which of His laws they wanted to obey and which ones they wanted to ignore. No, God's law was given to His people as a whole. He didn't give it to them as a bunch of parts and pieces that they could assemble what they liked. He gave it to them as a whole. It was to be obeyed as a whole, as a unit. Well, here now, in Paul's day, here are these Galatian false teachers. 
And they're coming and telling the Galatian church that they need to go back to the law. Go back to the law. Follow the law. That's the way to salvation, to obey the law. And Paul says, hold on a second. Haven't you forgotten what the Scripture says? Anyone who doesn't keep all of God's laws perfectly is under the curse of condemnation. Family, look in your notes there. I gave you a great scripture from the New Testament in James chapter 2, verse 10. James 2.10 says, For whoever keeps the whole law but fails in one point is guilty of all of it. You see, family, what the Bible explains again and again and again is that God's law is similar to a chain. A chain. Now let's take a look at this chain that I brought from home this morning. And man, that's a big one. Now you all understand how a chain works. A chain becomes a chain based on a number of individual links that are all tied together in a, in a sequence. And the only way a chain operates or functions properly is if all those links continue to hold together and, and keep the interconnectedness of the chain. And you all know how a chain works. As a chain ages, sometimes they can get brittle, sometimes they get a little rusty, maybe they got left out in the rain, and the chain can be weakened. And the way that the chain is weakened is when one of the links becomes weakened. And you all understand this principle perfectly well. All it takes is one little link to fail, and the whole chain fails. And sadly, we know what happens. If, uh, if, if grandma's antique dresser is on the end of this chain when it fails, if there's an uh, expensive Steinway piano on the end of this chain when it fails, watch out below, right? Watch out below. Because when this chain fails, in just one point, what comes crashing down is going to be this monumental, epic fail. Well, friends, that's a great illustration of what the Apostle Paul is trying to help the Galatians understand about the law of God. This is what he wants to help the Galatian Christians see. Why would anybody want to go back to the law as a means of eternal salvation. Scripture says all you got to do is break one of God's laws, and they are so interconnected, it's as if you have broken all of them. So Paul says the breaking of even just one of God's righteous laws puts people under the curse of condemnation. In other words, under judgment, under the righteous punishment of God. So family, that's the first fast fact that Paul wants to help the Galatians understand. Salvation can't possibly come by obedience to the law because the law doesn't bring blessing. The law doesn't bring blessing to sinners. The law only brings the curse. It only brings condemnation. Now, secondly, family, if you're taking notes, I want you to see a second fact here that Paul makes so plain, so clear. Number two, the law doesn't justify. Number two, the law doesn't justify. 
Look in the scriptures here in uh, verse 11 and verse 12. We're in Galatians 3, verse 11. Paul says, But that no one is justified by the law in the sight of God is evident, for the just shall live by faith. Yet the law is not of faith, but the man who does them shall live by them. Now, Christian friends, one of the cool things about living in northeastern Pennsylvania is that many of our highways were actually created by carving through a mountain. I mean, this is awesome. We drive through these things every day, but we often forget that so many other Americans don't ever get to experience this. I mean, our highways, so many of them are made. We, we cut through a mountain. I mean, that's awesome. Here you are, you're driving along Interstate 81, and you come through one of those cutouts. And on the right side of you and on the left side of you, you can see that you're driving through a space where a mountain used to be. And you see these very, very steep cliffs. I mean, they go straight up and down. And I know in my own experience, as I'm driving alone a lot of times, and I drive through one of those mountain cutouts, and I look up, up at those, those uh, sheer cliffs, and I often think to myself, I think, man, there's no way that anybody could ever climb that. No way. No way somebody could get up, to get up that, to the top of that cutout. But you know what, family? The more you stop and think about it, just think this through with me. Isn't it true? Isn't it true there probably is someone who could climb that cliff? Isn't it true that there is someone out there probably? Maybe a mountain climbing expert? I mean, maybe someone who has tons of experience with, uh, with steep climbs. They would come in. They've got, they've got all the carabiners. They've got all the harnesses. They've got all the ropes. They, they have all the technical climbing skills. And, and they really could get to the top of that sheer cliff. Well, family, it is possible, it is probable that someone could climb up one of those straight sheer cliffs. But look at verses 12 and 13. Paul makes it clear to the Galatians that there isn't anyone who could ever be made right with God by law-keeping. No one, Paul says, no one could ever be made right with God by keeping the law of God perfectly. Verse 12, Paul, under the inspiration of the Spirit, no one is justified or made righteous or made right in the sight of God by the law. And Paul goes on to say, this is evident. In other words, this is clear, this is plain, because Paul says, the just shall live by faith. Now family, notice again Paul's logical argument here. He uses another quote out of the Old Testament. That's why this statement, once again, in your Bible, is in italicized print. Here in verse 11, Paul makes another quote out of the Old Testament. This time, it's from one of the Old Testament prophets from the book of Habakkuk. Chapter 2, verse 4, which, which says, The just shall live by faith. You see, friends, here were these legalistic false teachers. They were telling the Galatians, If you really want to be right with God, the way to do that is to receive salvation by keeping all of the prescribed laws of the Old Testament. But Paul says, wait a minute. The Old Testament itself shows that the law isn't the way to salvation. The Old Testament itself 
plainly says that the just or the justified shall live by faith. So salvation isn't by law-keeping after all, because even the scriptures of old maintained that salvation is by faith. Now, Christian friends, what typically happens when you get two differing viewpoints? When you get two differing opinions, many times what will happen is those two sides will try to find a way to bring their differing viewpoints together. And we have a word for this in the English language. We have a word for this. We sometimes use the word synthesis. Synthesis. Sometimes uh, people even use the word synergy. Synergy and synthesis has that same little prefix that you learned when you were in school. S-Y-N. Synthesis. Synergy. It's along with other English words you know like synchronize or synthetic oil. It has to do with making the same. That's what that little prefix, S-Y-N, means to make the same or to bring together. So if you love a peanut butter sandwich and I love a jelly sandwich, let's mash them together. And now, wow, synergy. Now we have a peanut butter and jelly sandwich, and now we're both happy because now the two together are better than the ones were apart. Well, you know what? Some people would say, well, why don't we do that with salvation? I mean, we know on the one hand that God's laws are good, they're right, and they're moral. And of course, keeping God's laws, that's a good thing. But yeah, faith. Faith is really good too. So maybe, maybe the, the way to have salvation is to have faith in Jesus and you got to trust in Him. And you also need to have law-keeping too and make sure that you're doing all the right rules and regulations of the Old Testament. And let's have salvation with both of those things, right? Well, that's what these false teachers were advocating. They were saying that in addition to faith in Jesus Christ... They said in order to have eternal life and to be right with God, you needed to also add in all the keeping of the rules and the regulations and the ceremonies of Judaism. Well, what is Paul's response to that idea? Look at verse 12. Paul says, Yet the law is not of faith, but the man who does them shall live by them. Now, at the tail end there, what you have is another quote from the Old Testament, this time from Leviticus 18.5. That verse in the Leviticus stipulates that the way to live is by the law. So what Paul is getting at here, dear friends, is he's showing that the law and faith can't go together. You can't mash them together. You can't have synthesis with law and faith you can't have synergy between the law and the gospel. The law and faith can't possibly go together because they're mutually exclusive from each other. You can't put oil and water together, and you can't put fire and water together either. Now, family, I told my sons this week that there was going to be a SpongeBob SquarePants reference in this sermon. And here it is. Can you, can you believe this? 
You're going to go home on Facebook and you're going to say, my pastor used a SpongeBob SquarePants reference. Get, fire that guy. Family, many of you know this cartoon. It's a famous children's cartoon. It's been on the air for years. This is a children's cartoon that takes place under the sea, right? Under the sea. But you often see many of these special scenes where SpongeBob and his buddy Patrick the Starfish, they are sitting by a campfire. Under the sea, sitting by a campfire. And every time I see one of these scenes, it makes me laugh because there's no campfires at the bottom of the ocean, right? You don't make s'mores on the ocean floor. You can't possibly mix fire and water. They can't be in the same space at the same time. Family, that's what Paul is making a point here about the law and faith. You can't possibly have salvation by both the law and by faith because they are mutually exclusive from each other. It's one or it's the other, but you don't get to have both. Look in your notes. I gave you this really great quote from Dr. Thomas Constable, who was a professor at Dallas Seminary many years Constable wrote this, quote, Law and faith are as different as apples and elephants. The law requires works, but the gospel calls for faith. And that's right. So family, let's take a quick second here. Let's recap. All right, let's review here quickly. Paul's showing the Galatians they're making a terrible mistake if they think they're going to go back into law-keeping as a means of eternal salvation, Paul says, don't do it. Don't do it. Reason number one, the law only brings a curse. You can't possibly keep God's laws perfectly, and as soon as you break one, you've broken them all, and all it takes is one, and you're under condemnation. Reason number two, because the law doesn't justify. Law-keeping doesn't make a person righteous in the eyes of God. Only faith does that. Faith in Christ. Faith in what Jesus did for us. But family, those are the first two fast facts. Here's a third one, number three. The law's curse was absorbed by Jesus Christ. Number three, the law's curse was absorbed by Jesus Christ. Look at verse 13. Paul says, Christ has redeemed us from the curse of the law, having become a curse for us. For it is written, Cursed is everyone who hangs on a tree, that the blessing of Abraham might come upon the Gentiles in Christ Jesus, that we might receive the promise of the Spirit through faith. Now, Christian friends, stay with me here, okay? If, if everything that Paul has unpacked so far is true, then there is not much hope. For sinners like us. Try to set a round ball on top of a warped kitchen table, and that ball falls off every time. Try to make warped sinners keep the law of God, and we can do it. We are going to fall every single time. So here are these righteous rules, these just laws. We can't keep them perfectly. And the minute we break one, it's the same as if we've broken them all and we're under the curse of condemnation. 
Look in your notes. Dr. James Montgomery Boyce is right. He says the condition of man under law is obviously hopeless. If there is to be hope, it must come from a different direction entirely. And Boyce is right. So what is our hope then? Well, look at the opening word of verse 13. Christ. Christ. Jesus Christ is the one who redeems sinners from the curse of the law. Now that word redeem is so important in the New Testament, you should underline it. Put a star by it. That's a word that means to buy back. It means to buy back, literally to buy back out of the marketplace. You see, friends, back in ancient times, even up through the times of Jesus in the New Testament, it was not uncommon for human beings to be sold as slaves at the marketplace. Human beings bought and sold at the slave market. And it was possible for someone to come along and buy someone out of slavery. You could redeem that person out of that awful slavery situation. Well, the Bible says that is exactly what Jesus Christ did for us. That's what He did for the believer. He redeemed us from the curse of the law. This curse of condemnation that was on us as lawbreakers, Jesus became the curse for us. Well, we've got to think that through. What does it mean that Jesus became a curse for us? Well, what does that mean exactly? Well, Paul explains it for us. Look at the next phrase in verse 13. Here's another quote out of the Old Testament, actually from Deuteronomy chapter 21, verse 23. Family, back in ancient times, during the Old Testament era, the primary way that people were executed for their crimes was not through a hanging, nor did the Jews do crucifixion. If you received the death penalty under the Old Testament era, the way you were executed was by a public stoning. You were publicly stoned. However, if your crime was particularly heinous, if it was very, very wicked, it was not uncommon for the Jews to take that dead body of the person who had just been stoned to death and they would take that corpse and they would hang it in a tree for the remainder of that day until sundown. Now why would they do that? It was to demonstrate something. It was to demonstrate to all the people that this is what happens to you when you commit heinous crimes and heinous sins against the law of God. It was a public demonstration of the consequences of disobedience of God's laws. That's why Deuteronomy said in that verse that Paul quotes there, whoever is hanged on a tree is accursed of God. In other words, judged, condemned. Well, family, what did Jesus Christ do for us? Jesus Christ absorbed our condemnation. He absorbed our guilt. He absorbed our punishment when He was publicly hung on a cross. And there, Jesus died. So whose curse was Jesus absorbing there? It obviously wasn't His own curse. Jesus wasn't under condemnation because Jesus wasn't a sinner. Jesus was the sinless Son of God. He never did any wrong. 
So whose curse was Jesus absorbing? It was all those who believe on Christ. All those who would trust in Christ for salvation. Paul says, for us. For us. For the believer. Look in your notes, 1 Peter 3.18. For Christ also suffered once for sins, the righteous for the unrighteous, that He might bring us to God. 2 Corinthians 5.21, we mentioned in Sunday school, for our sake He made Him to be sin who knew no sin, so that in Him we, the believer, we might become the righteousness of God. Family Scripture teaches so plainly, because of our sin, because of our law-breaking, we were under the condemnation of God. We were under the curse. Every last one of us deserves the just judgment of God. But amazing grace, how sweet the sound that saved a wretch like me. Jesus Christ comes into this world. And Jesus willingly goes to the cross. And there in front of everyone, this public display, Jesus dies. He pays the penalty. He, he absorbs the guilt. He absorbs the condemnation that you deserve, friend, so that you could be accepted by God. So is law-keeping the way to salvation? No! No! A million times, no! It's by faith in Jesus Christ. That is the way of salvation. Look at the end of verse 14. Look at these two incredible blessings that come to every Christian through Christ. If you're using the New King James Version, you'll see both of these blessings get introduced with the word that. That. The first blessing there is the blessing that God promised to Abraham. The blessing of salvation by grace through faith, not just for Jews, but for Gentiles too. Yes, Jesus was a descendant of Father Abraham. And through Jesus comes salvation to anyone. Jew, Gentile, Greek, German, South American. Anyone of any race, of any nationality, of any background, of any skin color. So long as they have faith in Jesus Christ. Anyone can have salvation, but it must be by faith in Christ. There's a second blessing. Do you see it there? It's our receiving of the Holy Spirit. How did you receive the Holy Spirit, Christian? It wasn't because you kept the law. It was the moment you put faith in Christ. At the moment you trusted Christ, the Holy Spirit came to indwell you. So again, family, Paul wants the Galatians, he wants us to understand, when it comes to our eternal salvation, it's not about our depending on our own religious efforts to be good law keepers. No! We must have a full dependence on Jesus Christ alone by faith. You know, maybe you're listening to this message today and, and you're not a Christian. Maybe you've had people talking in your ear your whole life that what matters is you being a good person. That if you want to go to heaven someday, you've got to be a good person. You've got to be religious. You've got to go to church. You've got to follow all these religious rules. And they say that's what it means to be a Christian. 
Friend, I want you to see today from the Word of God, the Bible strips all that away. It's stripped away. It's gone. It's not there. The Bible says salvation isn't by anything that human beings do of their own efforts. When it comes to salvation, dear friend, we come to the table with nothing. We, we bring nothing to the table. We stand there, needy, hopeless, empty-handed, saying, God, help me. It's by your grace or it's by nothing. All we have to depend on is Jesus Christ. It's Jesus Christ or it's nothing. Well, how do I get what Jesus Christ provides? The Bible says it's by faith. It's by faith. So, friend, I plead with you today, stop trusting in your own efforts Stop trusting your morality. Stop trusting your good works. Stop trusting your religion. Stop trusting your church attendance. And put your trust in Jesus Christ alone. Scripture says salvation comes by faith in Christ. So turn away from yourself, friend. Turn away from your self-efforts. And look to Jesus and what He provides for you by faith. Friend, Jesus will not turn you away. Jesus promises that all who come to Him by faith will be received. They will be accepted. They will be forgiven. They will be welcomed into His eternal family. Well, Christians, as we think about this text this morning that we've been studying, what are some applications for us in the modern day? What should we take away from this great text for our lives in the here and now? Well, I just want to mention two and I hope you'll jot a few of these thoughts down. Just two contemporary applications, two points of significance here. First of all, family, when we listen to Paul show us here the ineffectiveness of the law to bring salvation, well, that doesn't mean, that doesn't mean that the Old Testament or the Mosaic law isn't valuable for us as Christians. David wrote in Psalm 119, 97, Oh, how I love your law. It's my meditation all the day. Your commandment makes me wiser than my enemies, for it is ever with me. You know, some Christians today, they want to gloss over the Old Testament. Oh, we don't need that. They want to minimize the Old Testament. Some even want to ignore the Old Testament. Man, they said, man, forget that Old Testament stuff. Oh, what a terrible mistake that is. Terrible mistake. One of my esteemed Seminary professors who's now with the Lord, Dr. Dick Engel, used to say this, the Old Testament is the First Testament. It's the First Testament. It's still God's Word. It's still God's truth. 2 Timothy 3.16 says all Scripture is inspired by God and is profitable. So Christian, don't you be one of those people who wants to eject the Old Testament, cast it away. Look, we understand this. The Old Testament doesn't bring salvation. But it does give us truth about God and about ourselves. It gives us spiritual insights, especially the insights that act like road signs that point to Jesus Christ. Now, here's a second application. Maybe you'll jot this down. This text in Galatians reminds you and I of the trap of legalism. The trap of legalism. This is a trap that says being spiritual is whether or not you are in compliance to all of these religious rules. From Paul's own day up to our own day, there have always been people who want to pile up long lists of rules and regulations 
and then say that it is obedience to all those rules is what makes a person right with God. Now listen, religious rule-keeping appeals to our flesh. We, we like it. We like the long lists and trying to keep the list and check-marking the, the boxes. That appeals to our flesh because when we can keep the rules, we boast about it. We're so proud that we've kept that list and people want to take pride in what they've accomplished. You know, it's a whole lot easier to live by the flesh putting check marks by a bunch of religious rules that you completed, it's easier to do that than it is to walk by the Spirit and to live the life of faith. People are so naturally drawn to legalism because it gives them something to measure. It gives them something to measure for themselves and it puts them up against other people and they see how they're measuring up against other people. But listen, for the Christian who understands grace, for the Christian who understands faith, there's no room for pride. There's no room for boasting. Because we understand it isn't our performance that counts. It's not my performance or yours that gets us to heaven. It's the performance of Jesus Christ. And how I receive what Jesus did is by faith. Family, I love this quote from Dr. Wearsby. It's in your notes. Wearsby says, yes, there is a fascination to the law, but it is only the bait that leads to the trap. Once the believer takes the bait, he finds himself in bondage. Far better to take God at His Word and rest on His grace. We are saved by grace through faith, and we must live by grace through faith. This is the way to blessing. The other way is the way to bondage. Christians, as we close now, I hope that you will come away from this amazing text rejoicing in the person and the work of your Savior, Jesus Christ. Friends, when we stop to consider the incredible contrast between what the law does to us and what Jesus Christ has done for us, we cannot help but bow in heartfelt worship. The law brings a curse. The law doesn't justify, but Jesus redeems us from the curse of the law. And now by faith, we are forgiven of our sins. And by faith, we walk in the freedom and the joy of true spiritual life. Hallelujah! What a Savior! Amen? Family modern sports fans love to sing the praises of Theo Epstein. He was the baseball manager who defeated two curses successfully. The curse of the Bambino and the curse of the Billy Goat. Friends, you and I leave here today. We are singing our praises. The praises of our curse killer, Jesus Christ. Jesus redeemed us from the curse of condemnation. And by grace, through faith, we are saved. Thanks for listening. This Preaching for a Change broadcast has been brought to you by the Grace Baptist Church of Hazleton, Pennsylvania. For more information, visit us online at mygracebaptist.church. If you enjoyed this broadcast, then share it with a friend on your favorite social media network. 
and be sure to join us next time for more enlightening and encouraging biblical exposition here on Preaching for a Change.